We started 2023 looking at our vision, saying that the vision of Harbor City is Jesus, to know him, to become like him, and to make him known, that Jesus is our vision. And, uh, and jumping off the back of that, we took a dive into the book of Mark, which as uh, if you've been here throughout the year, you would know it's taken us some time because we're only in chapter six now. We did take a, a break for, for a few months. Um, but we're looking at Jesus. We want to, to know him. We want to become like him. We want to make him known. Um, and going through the book of Mark and this Jesus movement, we're kind of looking at who this person of Jesus is, what made people follow him, um, what did he do, etc., etc. And uh, we hear in chapter 6 at like a really interesting passage. Um, but before I get into that, may I tell you one quick story. When we were over uh, with Grant and Michelle, uh, Michelle says to us, because knows that we kind of like coffee, you know, Harbor City serves coffee, like, there's a little bit of a coffee problem around, yeah, in Durban probably, but um, Michelle says, says, you have no idea, like, how good the coffee in Durban really is, and then you go around and you have, like, some coffees, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, Durban coffee is actually good, because the coffee there, for most part, is terrible, and, um, but... One one of the interesting things about that is their comment comes because they've left Durban and in leaving Durban and being exposed to somewhere else, they realize like how good this space in which they'd become familiar with, um, that that like a familiarity had kind of crept in that had brought them to a place where they stopped realizing how good some of the things were that were around them. And uh, this passage that we're dealing with today deals with familiarity. And it deals with the downside of familiarity. Familiarity is not always a terrible thing. The word familiar means uh, to be intimate, to, to know someone intimately, like, is to be familiar with them. You know them. Uh, but there's a downside of familiarity, and the downside of familiarity is that you can begin to take for granted that which you know. You can become casual with that which you know. You stop learning. You stop um, being curious. You become familiar and this kind of familiarity doesn't just happen in coffee shops, uh, with coffee and coffee shops. This familiarity grows in all different kind of spaces. It may be a church context. You, you've been coming to church for a while and for a long time, and the very thing that maybe attracted you to the church, whether it was the community or the preaching or the worship or something, like all of a sudden, that's just become so casual in your mind and you just start seeing all the problems, you know, and um, familiarity comes in and all of a sudden that which was wonderful to you becomes a little bit casual or you take for granted. This happens in our own relationships. You can kind of see it with siblings. When you grow up, you become a little bit familiar with your siblings. You know them. You take them for granted. Uh, you forget actually how good some of your relationships with 
in your family are or in your romantic relationships in marriage you can become familiar with your spouse you begin to take them for granted you stop being curious about who they are you stop learning this the sense of wonder seems to have gone you become casual with things that you shouldn't become casual with you become familiar um, and uh, I mean this can happen in all different spaces um, with all different things where, where you become familiar you, you've got to a certain level of knowledge about something a certain level of intimacy about something that you in a space where you're comfortable and that comfortableness can be a really good thing because when you're comfortable in a space you start becoming who you are really you know you, you, your guards start dropping in and all of that so like being comfortable in relationships and spaces is not a bad thing. But the bad thing can be when you become so comfortable that all of a sudden you lose your wonder, you lose your appreciation, you lose your sense of, of awe for why you are even in this space or in this relationship in the first place. You start taking for granted. You just become so casual. Um, and uh, certainly, I mean, I am the first to, to blame you, but like, if you think of your spouse, when you're dating, there's a, there's a sense of like, you're doing everything, you want to know, you're trying hard, flowers are out, the, 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 the date nights are like extravagant, etc., etc., and then you've been married for a certain period of time, you're like, whatever, flowers, flowers on the garden, you know, like, <laughs> you want flowers, go outside, you know, like, you can become so casual, you become so familiar, you take for granted, you stop learning. This passage is an interesting passage because normally throughout the Gospels, the people that get rebuked the people that get challenged often are the Pharisees. But in this passage, the people that are actually on display for the, in a negative way is Jesus' own community, his neighbors. And they on display in a negative way because they have become familiar. They think they know him, but they don't know him. Or they know stuff about him that is true and accurate, but they, that familiarity has brought them to a place where they've stopped learning, they've stopped wondering, they've taken for granted that Jesus is just a carpenter. Um, and they've, the, the sense of wonder, the sense of awe, the sense of learning, the sense of growing, they become so casual with this boy that grew up in Joseph and Mary's home that they forgot that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. That's what this passage is about. It's about familiarity and it's about faith. Um, it's, it's about faith because what does Jesus comment on? He comments on their unbelief. What, what's interesting in this passage 
is it starts off with them being amazed. It ends off with Jesus being amazed. They're amazed that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. But what's amazing is that this is the only account where Jesus is amazed at someone's unbelief. He's normally amazed at people's belief. Like this account, he's with his neighbors and he's amazed. He's like, what? How have you become so familiar that you have lost faith altogether? So this is about familiarity and faith. And uh, I want to try and talk about those two things a little bit and uh, then try and give us four kind of helpful points as I, as I land on how to help us not become too familiar in spaces that we shouldn't. You okay? So one of the interesting things about this passage is up until now, Jesus has been crossing the Sea of Galilee, going back and forth. That's why he's been on a boat so often. He's been going back and forth. And the as we mentioned last week, the series of passages, we've seen Jesus do incredible things. He's raised the dead, he healed the sick daughter, cast the demons out, he's quiet in the storm. The, this passage has been the extravagance, the power, the lordship, the authority of Jesus on display. It's, incredible, it's been an incredible series of stories that Mark is telling to put on display that Jesus is Lord over creation, that he's Lord over all the spirits, over the whole spiritual realm. He is Lord over sickness. He is even Lord over death. The one thing that no one can escape, Jesus is Lord over all. That's what Mark's telling us. It's this display. You get to this point and you're just like, wow, Jesus just raised the dead Where is this going? Jesus gets home. This is kind of like an anticlimactic moment in the story. It's going up. Jesus is doing these incredible things. I mean, what next do you expect? Probably in that day, if you were walking with Jesus, you expect Jesus to now get an army, get an army together, overthrow Rome, become like the king of the whole earth. Like you're expecting now... Jesus has raised the dead. This is going up. Mark gets to his point, and what happens? It's like, woo, Jesus could not do any miracles except like a few because of their unbelief. You're like, what? He's just raised the dead. Like, he just quiets in the storm. It's, it's like quite a drop in the story where in one sense, The humanity and the divinity of Jesus is on display. And uh, which is a great moment for us. The The familiar, the familiarity of his neighbors is pointing to Jesus, his humanity. Isn't this the kid that grew up in our neighborhood? Isn't this Mary's son? We know his brothers and sisters. Like, They're pretty average. Like, this is an average family. Like, isn't this the same Jesus? His humanity is on display. And Jesus makes his own claim to his divinity by saying he is amazed at their unbelief. Jesus is amazed. Not 
that they are pointing at his humanity, but they are unable to see his divinity. So it's an incredible moment. It's an anticlimactic moment. But it is a moment that warns us against the danger of becoming too familiar in spaces, becoming too familiar in relationships, in spaces, and ultimately becoming too familiar in our relationship with God. So, what happens in Mark chapter 6 is essentially, as we've said, Jesus comes home with his disciples He's arrived home with his disciples. Um, He does what he regularly does. This is the last time we'll see this in Mark. But he does what he regularly does on a Saturday. He goes to synagogue and he teaches. And regularly, people are amazed by his teaching, as they even were in his hometown. But for some reason... And uh, I am not 100% sure, and the theologians don't quite give us enough detail to know at what point the amazement at Jesus' teaching turns into this unbelief and offense. But they are amazed at Jesus' teaching, and then maybe someone gets up and goes, they're like, wow, this is great teaching. And then someone goes, this is Mary's son. Oh, yeah, it was. He stole the teaching. He stole the teaching? Did he steal that teaching from someone? Like, that couldn't have been his own. We know his family. Like, their IQ's down here. He preached up here. Like, I, we, we don't exactly know how it descends from this, wow, that was a great message, or whatever it is, the maze at the teaching, to they took offense at him. But someone obviously brings up, hey, this is Jesus. This is our neighbor. This is Mary's son. And they begin to take offense at him. It's kind of like a tall poppy syndrome issue. I don't know if uh, you've heard of the tall poppy syndrome thing. It's like poppies, there's flowers, some, one will grow taller than the others. So you've got like a whole bunch of poppy flowers, one grows taller and it, you know, destroys kind of the look of it so they cut the tall poppy out. And what happens sometimes is in communities or that, someone shines, someone's like, whoa, and then all of a sudden people are like, whoa, are you trying to do us up? Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to show us up? Are you trying to show off? And then the the tendency, because of jealousy or whatever, is to cut the tall poppy down, to try and, to not try and be excited for someone's success, but to try and belittle someone's success. It's like a tall poppy syndrome. It's like, it's almost a humanity problem of what happens is that someone rises in a community and there, there can be jealousy or, or whatever and you try and cut the tall poppy down. You're like, don't be successful. This is almost a tall poppy problem. And the tall poppy problem arises because of familiarity. It rises because of familiarity. We know this family. We know who they are. Who is it? Jesus can't, like the stories we're hearing about Jesus can't be so great. It even tells us here that Jesus didn't do many miracles. So you can imagine them going, wait a minute, 
Jesus raised the dead. What has he done in our neighborhood? You know, the dead have stayed dead in, in Nazareth. You know, um, like, you, you know, Jesus walked on water. We didn't see him walk on water. Is there even water in Nazareth? Can someone get a bath? Jesus, like, the, the stories can go around. They're like, we know this family. We know Joseph and Mary. We know Jesus' brother. Jesus grew up amongst us. These stories that you are telling, mm, we're not sure that they, like someone is telling lies. And they become familiar. They become, their familiarity leads to their offense. They take offense at Jesus. I don't know if you've seen this before or heard of this, but sometimes this happens in spaces around us where either families or friendship groups or, um, you know, neighborhoods can almost take offense at someone because they're offended by their success. They're like, oh, you know, people are like, yo, that guy's so amazing. You're like, yeah, but I remember one day he cut thing and threw his stuff over my wall and never cleaned it up. And actually, he's a terrible person. And I phoned him about that and I asked him to do neighborhood watch and he said, no, he's too busy. And like, he doesn't care about it. You know, there's, there's all these stories that go on that because their familiarity closes them off to learning, closes them off to growing in their knowledge. Um, and they become offended, offended either because of their jealousy, offended either because of their pride, um, but they become offended with Jesus. What a terrible space to be in, to be offended with Jesus. I've, uh, over the years I've been in, in um, full-time ministry for, for many years actually now, and um, I've been able to have conversations with a number of people, like new believers, um, older believers, some people, well, I mean, one person I knew had read the Bible every single year, through every single year for 40 years of their life. I mean, it's impressive. They've read through the Bible 40 times, you know, um, very disciplined, would do go through their daily devotional every day, had read through the Bible 40 times, 40 years of their life, just doing it. But one of the things I've learned is like, in the world of church, a lot of people become familiar with God over time. And that familiarity can almost breed a contempt for for others. So a new believer comes in, and uh, we saw this a bit at a church I was part of. Uh, a new believer would come in, and they come in with enthusiasm because the wonder of Jesus has been made alive. And then some older people will be like, ah, just wait a couple of years. That enthusiasm will be knocked. And all the negative comments begin to come out like, uh, we've seen this before. Um, 
And, and those comments come out because you see the enthusiasm, you see the wonder. It Maybe it even stirs something. You're like, yo, I used to be like that. Maybe there could be jealousy or whatever. And you're like, mm, mm, mm. all these comments um, begin to come out. But you also see what happens is so many people just become familiar with church and familiar with, with their relationship with God. They just, they've stopped learning. Uh, we... In, in a life group I was in about 10 or 12 years ago, I can't remember, but we, we, there was always this question was asked, was like, what is God saying to you this week? Was often, that was asked. And, uh, um, and the interesting thing would be, it's like often the new people are like, oh, I read this passage, it's amazing, I feel like God's doing this in my life. And then for some people, just nothing, nothing after nothing after nothing, week after week after week after week. It's just, uh, I read the scriptures, but you know, I'm not really growing. I feel like I know who God is. Um, there's a familiarity that had caused them to stop growing, a casualness, a taking for granted, a, a stop learning kind of space. We'd never want to get into a place in our relationship with Jesus where we become so familiar with who he is that we begin to be casual with him. Can you imagine being casual with the Lord of Lords? The reality is, is we become casual with Jesus. We begin to take him for granted. I've been challenged by this um, Tabani was not here, probably on Kidsman, but uh, Tabani over the last like, month has been talking about just a renewed wonder of salvation, you know, and remembering like how great it was that, you know, that Jesus had, has saved him. And as he was talking about that, I was like, you when last did I genuinely stop and go, oh my Lord. How amazing it is that you have forgiven my sins. You have saved me from darkness. You have rescued me out of the depth of despair. That every sin has been for, forgiven because of you. Um, they be, begin to become familiar, not just with who Jesus is, but with what he's done. You've stopped learning. You've stopped growing. You've stopped being curious about Christ. Even one sense, going through the Jesus movement, going through the book of Mark, has been partly to awaken our curiosity again about who Christ is. To break us out of a familiarity where day after day we're just like, oh, Jesus is like this. Jesus is like this. Um, and to cause us to grow. Familiarity leads to unbelief. This is the real danger of becoming familiar. Is this story is about Jesus' neighbors who stop believing. It's about Jesus' neighbors who stop believing. In chapter 3, you might remember, we told the story about Jesus being in his own home and the crowd's being so big, his family is on the outside. And he tells that story, who is my mother and brother and sisters? You know, those who hear and obey my name. Like, 
he's in his neighborhood, the crowds are around. At some point, like the familiarity with Jesus, maybe because, as I said, someone made a comment, like has spread so that in his own home now, in his hometown, it has descended from belief into unbelief. The danger with us and our familiarity with God, if we allow ourselves to become too familiar, allow ourselves to become casual or to take God for granted or to even take the fact that you believe for granted, if we allow ourselves to get into a place where we stop being curious or stop learning, the danger that this passage warns us is that the descent from familiarity is to a place of unbelief. That familiarity, with even with church, you see some people come every day. I mean every Sunday for years. And then they come every second Sunday. And then every third. And then once every two months. And the, the descent goes from, the famili- as familiarity sets in, it grows to slowly to a place where you stop caring about what Jesus thinks to getting to a place where you don't even know if Jesus really is who he says he is. Familiarity leads to unbelief, which is what this passage is warning us against. And the danger of familiarity, actually, is not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with all spaces, is that familiarity as the psychology saying goes, breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. That you descend from healthy, vibrant relationships, you become familiar, and all of a sudden, offense and contempt and, you know, that stuff begins to break in. Um, Familiarity, even in our neighborhoods and our spaces and our communities and our friendship circles, can go from a place of wonder and enjoyment and appreciation, and it descends into a place of contempt and frustration and irritation. The friends that you once loved, and as you became familiar and too casual with up start taking for granted, the friends that you once really appreciated are now the ones that annoy you the most. Familiarity leads us on a downward spiral um, towards unbelief or contempt. But what Jesus is teaching us, one of the things that Jesus is teaching us here, and then I'll give you four points and we're close, is that Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom operates on faith. The kingdom operates on faith. Probably all of us at some point reading this passage, if you've read this passage, all of us have asked the question, and I think Mark is intending us to ask this question. We've all asked this question, he could do no miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Probably all of us have asked that faith and like, what? Jesus could do no miracles? Like, what? Did Like, did the community hold him hostage? Like, did they overpower him? Like, 
This is Jesus, Jesus who just quiets in the storm, raised the dead. This is Jesus who you know, healed Jairus' daughter. This is Jesus who cast out legions of demons out of the guy chained in the cave. You're like, Jesus could do no miracle. At some point, you're like, what? Like, what is going on here? Jesus done all these extravagant things. Like, how did someone stop? Jesus. And Mark is intending us to ask that question. He wants us to ask that question. And he wants us to ask that question because it, coupled with unbelief, is trying to get us to the point where we realize this, that the kingdom operates on faith. That Jesus is not a magician. Jesus is not the magician that strolls into the neighborhood with his wand and he's like, Oh, you healed, you healed. You know, just, he's not a magician putting on a show. He's not a magician trying to put on this amazing display of power. He is God who is to be amongst his people. He is the Lord, the King, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who is amongst his people and operates his kingdom amongst his people based on trust, belief, or faith. I.e., Jesus' miracles, as the theologians say, happen in a relational context. God works his miracles through relationship with his people. God extends his kingdom through relationship with his people. God ushers his power into the world through relationship with people. He's not just imposing himself. He doesn't just come into the world and be like, boom, you're all healed. Boom, you're all believers. Like, like a magician just displaying his power in every space. And so what the theologians say about this passage is that this passage is not about saying, oh, we can handcuff God and stop his power. It's saying, of course Jesus could heal the sick. He just raised the dead. Of course he could do whatever he wanted in, uh, you know, in Nazareth. Of course he could. But he doesn't because he doesn't impose himself on his people. He responds. He works in the context of relationship with people. And the way our relationship with God is defined is through faith, through belief, trust. Which is why it ends saying he was amazed at their lack of faith. God is at work in your life, not through imposition, but through relationship, through faith. That it is our engaging with God by trusting in him that the kingdom of God extends in our lives. He's not bashing down your doors. He's not destroying all your walls. He is the one who knocks, who reveals, who shows himself and waits for us to have faith, to believe, to trust, 
which is part of the reason why we mustn't allow our relationship with God to go cold through over-familiarity. I don't need to learn about Jesus. I already know who he is. I don't need to, you know, do this church thing. I already know all about God. The danger of us level of that level of familiarity is it ultimately leads us to a place of unbelief. Okay, can I give us four tips and we'll close. Four tips to help fight familiarity and build faith. Number one, be curious. Be curious or remain a lifelong learner. I think, to me, the interesting thing here about the Nazareth community is that they had lost their curiosity. They thought they had buttoned down Jesus. They thought they knew who he was. They had stopped learning. So when the stories of Jesus' miracles around Galilee had come to them, all is what they could think of was the Jesus that they knew, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. They'd stopped being curious. They stopped asking questions. They'd stopped learning. But one of the ways that we prevent familiarity is to remain curious in our own relationships. It's not, hey, I know Eugene. We've known each other for a long period of time. It's... What makes Eugene tick? Like, continue to ask the questions. Continue to be curious, to find out about each other. For me to do the same with Lisa, to be curious um, about the things that make her tick and uh, who she is. And, um, you know, when she does something that, like, surprises me, like, whoa, what happened? That's amazing. Like, etc. Allow ourselves to, become, to be lifelong learners. The best professionals in their spheres are always the people that remain learners. The best professionals in their spheres are always the people that continue to learn year after year and don't just be like, I know it. I'm a doctor. I know how to do this thing, etc. It's the lifelong learners that don't descend into familiarity. So be curious. Second thing is be humble or be willing to admit you are wrong or change your mind. I wonder if at any point Jesus' neighbors thought that their view of Jesus at that moment could have been wrong. I wonder if at any point as all of this was going on and offense grew, I wonder if at any point they thought, hey, the stories that are coming to us from the regions around us, you know, maybe those are really true and we've got our picture wrong. It takes humility to admit that you're wrong and to change your mind. 
I think one of the ways that we prevent ourselves from becoming familiar is allowing ourselves to be in a place where we know that perhaps the view that has made us familiar is wrong. So maybe someone comes, uh, you're having coffee with a friend or someone you know or someone respect you respect, and you're talking about something you believe about God, um, and they say, like, whoa, I think you're actually wrong in that. Humility is allowing yourself to be in a space where someone can tell you that and you are actually open to what they're saying being true. How often, and trust me, I know this, there's a saying that goes around the in-laws of our family that says a tenant has never been wrong, ever, even when they argue amongst themselves. So, oh dear, it's not a good thing. I say that to our shame, you know. But um, it's a saying, like, the tenants are never wrong. And um, it's, it's a bad thing. It's, it's one of the things I have to learn and fight against my own family history here is the humility to be able to say I could be wrong my view could be wrong and the way that I prevent myself from descending into a hard-hearted familiarity is to actually be able to admit that I'm wrong and change my mind your view of Jesus could be wrong And at some point, we need to be willing to change our mind as the scriptures come and reveal who he is. Third point, be grateful or be continually thankful. Be grateful. Gratitude about the things in our lives helps stop us becoming casual with those things. Gratitude for the people in our lives helps stop us from becoming casual or taking for granted the people in our lives. Gratitude guards us against descending into a familiarity that has lost its wonder of the people and God in your life. Because it changes you from a position of criticism to a position of appreciation. So one of the ways that we stop ourselves from becoming familiar is to be grateful. And finally, to end off, is to be bold. Or find yourself in spaces in which you need God to come through for you. I find what's really interesting here about the Nazareth story is when it talks about Jesus doing like one or two miracles, there's no point in, this, in these stories as opposed to all the other stories where someone has really put themselves out on the line. There's no friends 
opening a roof to descend, you know, their, their sick friend in. There's no woman with an issue of blood pushing away through the crowd to grab onto Jesus' cloak. There, there's no story of anyone really putting themselves out there for God to come through, for Jesus to come through. There's no boldness. There's just offense. There's just criticism. There's, there's, it's almost like the Nazareth people have taken the safest possible route with Jesus. No one's putting themselves out there. No one's going, hey, you know what? Maybe Jesus could fit my need. No one's like breaking out of the crowd, being willing to be put on display. And sometimes what we need to even break ourselves out of our own familiarity and our faith is to actually put us out there. To put ourselves out there, to be bold, to trust God again. Maybe it's trusting God with our finances. Maybe it's trusting God with our friends. Maybe it's trusting God again with evangelism and telling someone about Jesus. Maybe it's trusting God with your career. It's, it's saying to God again, hey God, I've become comfortable in how I'm living my life. I just live it from day to day. But day to day, I don't actually need any faith. Lord, I want to step into places that require me to have faith. Uh, I love in Revelations, it says, they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Um, the, there's something powerful about the stories of us trusting God that help even others of us to trust God. The boldness, the courage, the finding ourselves in spaces in which we need to trust God, where we've made decisions for God, even when it's uncomfortable, that grow us in our faith, where we see God come through. And as we see God come through, it breaks us out of our own familiarity, where we become casual or comfortable or just taken for granted this amazing, incredible God who we serve. Can I pray?